Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Thank you to all of you that serve in our special needs ministry. Give it up for them right now, would you? I'm so deeply grateful for all of you that bring Jesus to bring home, not just to special needs people, but their families. And that's why I have a dear friend with me today, Josh Turner, is a pastor that has a resume in the ministry too long to talk about. Currently, he's a teaching pastor at Cottonwood Church in Orange County, California. One of the biggest reasons he's here today is he has a special needs dad, he has a special needs daughter, and I want you to listen carefully because whether or not you have a special needs family member, this is a message that every single one of us is going to need to hear. And I want you to listen carefully as he talks about this today, what to do on the worst day of your life. Would you give it up right now for our friend, Josh Turner. We are so glad that you're here, man. How many of you are immediately disappointed I'm not the country music singer, Josh Turner? Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, that was very like, immediately, sir, you are a disappointment. Um, good night, I'm gonna have to talk about that in therapy. Um, that's how my wife feels as well, by the way. Um, hey, how many Chiefs fans uh, we got in the house? Hey, congratulations on your new mascot. It's Taylor Swift. Hey. In all fairness, Travis Kelsey's gonna be a song in about six months. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she's gonna break his heart and she's gonna write a song and then she's gonna make millions. Um, it, is, uh, it is an honor uh, to be with you guys. I never take it uh, you know, lightly that I get to travel uh, and communicate, uh, especially for someone like your pastor. Uh, your pastor and I have gotten to know each other over the past couple of years. Um, we went to South Africa together hunting, went on a turkey hunt together because we're men of God. And, um, and so it was funny, I, I got in bed last night and um, I was watching uh, baseball and football, uh, go Braves. And so I was, pray, I, was, I was on the phone with my wife and I was just checking on her, see how things were going. And she goes, tell me about this, this Pastor Phil, because she's never met Phil. And some of my friends, even though they are pastors, like if they backslid just a little bit, they would be in prison. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they're that type of friend. You know that type of friend that like when you're growing up, your mom would be like, I don't like you hanging out with that boy. That's some of my friends. And so um, she's like, tell me about Pastor Phil. And this is the best way I I know to explain your pastor uh, as I've gotten to know him over the past couple of years. Uh, In 2019, I went through a a massive uh, betrayal in the church world from my lead pastor who I'd served for 17 years. And it it was brutal. I'm just gonna be honest. I may talk about it later. Who knows what comes out of my mouth. Uh, It took me three years of intense therapy, two years of antidepressants, two years of anti-anxiety medicine to get through it. And so with that, when you go through church hurts, which I'm sure a lot of us in here have been hurt by the church before. And can we just pause for a second and say, it's not the church that hurt you. It's actually just people in the church that hurt you. The bride of Christ will never hurt you, okay? So it's just people. And if you haven't learned this yet in life, people are crazy. And so they will hurt you. Um, and so uh, with that, I've had to work through a bunch of woundedness and jadedness and sort of things, just being totally honest with you. And she goes, so tell me about Pastor Phil. I said, the best way I know to explain Phil is he is one of the men that gives me hope 
that there are still great men in Christianity leading amazing churches. And so I love you, dude. And I mean that like, um, I really look up to you and, and uh, you mean a lot and your, and your influence in my life means a lot. And so I'm very, very thankful for you. Um, I feel like it is very important for you to know a little bit about me as we're gonna talk about some heavy stuff today. Um, so I brought a picture of my family. Um, so this is a picture of my family and I. I actually got to take my wife to London uh, for her 40th birthday. And this is us on the Tower Bridge. And my wife goes, why do you have to be more of a redneck and wear a cowboy hat when we go to London? I said, I just want them to remember that we won. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm here to remind y'all America. Like, that's what I'm here for. Um, I know who I am, y'all. I don't live above the Mason-Dixon line. And so that's us in London. Uh, the long-haired guy in the back is my son, Aiden. He is about to be 21 years old. He is a junior in college and he is studying psychiatry. So we like to play a game at home right now called Diagnose Dad. Uh, like, like literally, I walked into the kitchen one morning, he had his textbook and goes, you have anxiety. And I went, yeah, no, I know. We didn't need a textbook to tell me that, but he's 21 uh, years old. Uh, that's my wife, Becca. We have been married for 20 years. So if you can do math, I wasn't always a Christian. Anybody got a backstory in here? Just like me and three people? Cool, all the rest of y'all lying. Um, so that's my wife, Becca. We just celebrated actually 20 years of marriage. Uh, she is amazing. And that is my daughter, Riley. Uh, you can see Riley is a little bit lower in that picture. She is in a wheelchair. We have three wheelchairs at our house. So at this point, it looks like a used car lot of wheelchairs. And Riley is actually the 12th known case in the world of a rare genetic disorder. She did not get diagnosed until 2019. Uh, two weeks ago, we just passed our 33rd surgery. Um, she has a tracheostomy, a feeding tube, sleeps on a ventilator at night. Uh, we have nurses that get to our house at 10 p.m., leave at 6 a.m. So my wife and I can sleep in the same bed. But for all my special needs families out there, you know that home health care is terrible. And so we haven't had home health care for a lot. So probably over the past two years, my wife and I have slept in the same bed about 50 times. Um, and she's really kind of what I want to talk about today. Uh, now, here's the thing. Most times, as a preacher that gets to travel and, and communicate, and Pastor Phil and I were laughing about this last night, uh, you kind of have one job. Your job is to show up, give a good message, make people laugh, and then leave. Nobody wants to come in and preach the message, what do you do on the worst day of your life? But I believe like this is a super important topic. And the reason it is so important is because all of us are gonna have a worst day of our life. And I wish I didn't have to say that, right? Like I, I wish that I got to come up here as a pastor and a preacher and say, hey guys, listen, here's what we're gonna do. At the end of service, I'm gonna give each one of you an opportunity to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and you're gonna confess in your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the only son of God who was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for you. And in that moment, God is gonna separate your sins as far away as the east is from the west, which he's going to do. And then in that moment, you're also gonna be reconciled to God, which he is going to do. And you are also now gonna be the righteousness of Christ, which you will become. But what we all want me to add is also when you get saved, God will then say, engage, and a Holy Spirit bubble will come down and wrap you, and you will never have anything bad happen to you again the rest of your life. That's what we want, isn't it? I don't know, that's what I want. Like, I want God, and we all wanna make formulas about God, right? God, if I do this, then you will do this. 
How many of y'all feel more spiritual when you do your daily Bible, your daily Bible reading? And you're like, God is pleased with me today. <laughs> the reality is, is God is pleased with you at all times because he loves you. And so what ends up happening is, is we have to talk about what to do on the worst day of your life because the reality is, is God does not encapsulate in the Holy Spirit bubble and bad things happen to good people. So what do you do? What do you do on the worst day of your life? What do you do when God doesn't do what you think he should do? And the reason I want to talk about this so much is because I've seen this push people into a deeper relationship with the Lord the worst days of their lives. And I've also seen people be like, if this is how God is, then I want nothing to do with him. And they leave. And so my prayer, and I was praying for y'all last night, and I was praying for you this morning, is that there would just be something that the Holy Spirit says to you through this broken and jacked up man, specifically to where you are, to help you know what to do on the worst day of your life. Because all of us are gonna have it. And not only are we gonna have it, but you see it all throughout scripture. If you wanna talk about a person that had the worst day ever, I think it's in the book of Job. Job is my favorite book of the Bible. I actually have it tattooed on my massive biceps. Um, I don't understand why that was a joke. Um, book of Job is my favorite book because it was a book that I have clung to for years. Because I believe what we see is we see a person that, that I honestly think like is gonna be the worst day that anybody on history would ever have, ever. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Job 1, verses 13 through 19. Like, all of us have had bad days, but I don't think that we've had bad days like this. It says this. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all your shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, Another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in the oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? What do you do when the cancer's back? What do you do when you get that phone call from the doctor that totally catches you off guard? For all my special needs families in here, what do you do when you're at the hospital again? And it's another surgery, or how about this, another I don't know from a doctor. What do you do when you've been a part of a marriage for 30 years and that person that you've been married to actually looks at you and says, I don't wanna be a part of this anymore? What do you do, parents, when you've raised your children in God's house and at some point they look at you and say, I don't believe in this, and they leave. What do you do with that job that you've been faithful to for 40 years 
And they say, we no longer need you. Life is a savage assault on the heart that God is good. And what do you do on the worst day of your life? Guys, this is an important question. And Pastor Phil and I were talking about it. Um, This is big boy and girl Christianity. This is not the easy answers. Like we've all had people say to us like the stupid Christian band-aid answers. God will never give you more than you can handle. (laughs) Yes, but I want to punch you in the face right now. Like we all, like we've all, like in the name of Jesus, of course. um, (laughs) But like we've had, like this is a big question. And this is a question that we see, I think, Job wrestle with through the entire book of Job. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pull out three things that Job does. And we're going to take them and we're going to apply them to our lives in hopes that when we go through the worst day of our lives, which you haven't, uh, bad news, you will, so that we know what to do. Now listen, um, like I said, I, I, I get to travel quite a bit and, and there's lots of different messages I preach, but I want you to understand, like I was telling Pastor Phil last night, like this is my story. And this is the story I'm still walking So this isn't like just some three-point sermon that I've written as a pastor. This is stuff that I have had to learn to do in my life over the past 15 years to make it through the worst days of my life. Like, let me just say this. My daughter's had 33 surgeries. Every every surgery is the worst day of your life. Every one you're going, God, for real? And so I I want to give you these things, not as just a preacher who's in Kansas or Missouri. We're in Missouri. Uh, In Missouri, I said Kansas, the first service, and one lady walked up, she goes, hey, great sermon, one correction. And I was like, and here's what I thought, oh God, she's gonna correct my theology. She's like, Missouri, and I was like, I'm an idiot. I don't know what else to say to you at this moment. (laughs) Once I get out of Georgia, I'm just lost. I don't know where to go. Um, but I'm giving you this as something that I've had to work through. And so I I really want to encourage you to take notes um, because if you take notes, you get to pick where you live in heaven. Um, (laughs) I love making that joke because sometimes people are like, and beachfront condo. Like, no, here's here's why I want you to take notes. I've learned in my own pain that it is easier to reference something than remember something. So when life happens and you're on the worst day of your life, it's easier to go back and look at a note than remember what someone said to you a while back. So I wanna encourage you to take notes. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna pull out three things from the book of Job. We're gonna walk through pretty much the entire book of Job. Uh, So I hope you brought a snack. But we're gonna walk through the entire book of Job and pull out three things to apply to our lives. So on the worst day of Job's life, the first thing that we see is that Job made a choice. Job made a choice. It says this, Job 1, 20 through 22. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head, I already did that, and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. So here's what we see. Job loses everything. 
Job doesn't just lose it like the same day, he loses it the same moment. Like as people are finishing talking, before they're done talking, another messenger is running up and being like, your kids are all dead. They've taken all your camels, they've killed all your farming. So Job lost his income, all his workers, and his children all in a moment. And Job stands up, shaves his head, tears his robe, and says, the Lord gave it to me, the Lord takes it away, praise be the name of the Lord. I don't think that was an emotional choice. I don't think that Job, as he is sitting there, and can we always, always remember, I think sometimes what ends up happening is we read scripture with the end of the story in mind, right? Like we read the beginning of the book of Job and we're like, it's okay, God's gonna come through. We read Joseph being thrown into the pit or, or into, the, into um, jail. It's okay, God's gonna come through. Job doesn't know this at that moment. So Job is losing everything in, his, in this moment. And here's what I don't think. I don't think Job is sitting at the table and all the messengers are running in and they're like, all your livestock's gone. All your workers have been killed and all your children are killed. I don't think Job sat there and went, you know what, Lord? You are so awesome. You are just my favorite right now. And I love you oh so much. No, I bet Job's emotions because he was human were a disaster. I bet he was an emotion. Anybody ever been through something hard? How clearly are you always thinking? Not very clear. See, I think when Job made the decision to tear his robe and shave his head and say, God gave it to me, God can take it away, praise be the name of the Lord. It wasn't an emotional decision, it was a conscious decision. That Job in this moment, so you understand the difference, like emotions are a good indicator, they're a terrible dictator. Emotions are terrible to guide your life with. And the reason that they're terrible to guide your life with is because your emotions change over time. So if you just stand on your emotions in the moment of suffering, then what you end up believing is that your God's character is linked to your circumstances. And the reality is, is God's character does not change regardless of your circumstances. So I think in this moment, Job's like, man, I got a choice to make. Do I freak out? And listen, you're gonna have emotions. You're not a robot. You're gonna have emotions. But abundant life, on the worst day of your life, there is going to be a moment where you have a choice to make. And that choice is how do you respond? Do you respond by reminding yourself that God is who he says he is even in the moments of pain and hurt? You will have a choice. I'll never forget when our daughter was born, uh, we had a C-section, we had had our son, we'd had two miscarriages, and then we have our daughter, total normal pregnancy. And it was a C-section, which is very weird because it's like scheduled, right? So you kind of feel like you're going to the grocery store, but instead of coming back with like a loaf of bread, you have a child now that lives in your house. So we were driving to the hospital and we go in and they have me in the little room, you know, and they put the blue scrubs on me and they gave me a hairnet because they're jerks. And um, so they call me in and um, they said, hey, Ms. Turner, your, your wife is, you know, ready for surgery. You can come in now. And I go up and I sit like by her face and I'm so nervous. And they put a blue sheet up, you know, where they're doing the surgery. And they said, hey, Mr. Turner, you probably don't want to look past this blue sheet, which what they might as well have said is, hey, stand up and immediately look behind this blue sheet. Cause I was like, yeah, cool, man. I probably won't. Oh my God. It's nightmare fuel. And so, so I'm sitting next to my wife's face 
And it's still, I still make fun of her to this day. And I can say this because she's not here. Um, I was like, man, you were so drugged up. She's like, no, I wasn't. And I was like, they were literally bringing a child out of you and my face was so close to you. The only thing you said to me is, hey, when we get home, we need to pluck your unibrow. <laughs> Childbirth, so magical. <laughs> so I'm sitting in there and the doctor starts talking like, okay, they're getting ready to bring Riley out. And I stand up and I'm looking this way and, and my wife Becca's looking at my face and immediately I can tell something's wrong. And I can tell something's wrong by how quickly everybody starts moving. And you know, as a parent, if you've ever been in there before, um, you're waiting for that first cry. Never heard that first cry. And they start moving all very quickly. They take her over to a table, put her on the table, they grab what's called an ambu bag, put it over her mouth, and they start forcing air into her. Doctor takes her, the nurse takes her, runs out of the room, and she's totally limp, she's blue. And I, I, you ever been in that, like, that moment, like you're like, I'm, I'm gonna throw up. Like this is just the worst day, moment of my life. A few minutes later, a nurse comes and gets me. She says, Mr. Turney, to talk to you, takes me out of the room, and she takes me to a broom closet. And I specifically remember it was a broom closet because I remember thinking to myself, y'all should have better rooms for news like this. This smells like pine saw and tears. Do you know what I mean? Like this is awful that this is where we're doing this. So uh, they said, hey, um, we called an ambulance to transport your daughter to the newborn intensive care unit because we had had her at a new hospital and the NICU wasn't uh, ready yet. So they said, we're gonna be honest. We don't know if she's even gonna make the ambulance ride. I said, well, can I see her? And they're like, yeah, you can see her, but just don't touch her. So I walk around the corner. She's got IVs in both feet, both hands, her head, and she's hooked up like she's back on the umbilical cord. And I said, well, I'm gonna pray for her. And if this freaks some of y'all out, I apologize. And I just threw down, man, like threw down to the point where other people are like doing stuff. They're like, oh, dang. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those. And um, so I go back in, I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, something's wrong with Riley. She just looks at me and she goes, I know. I don't know if the I know was the Holy Spirit or the drugs at that point, but we're gonna give credit to the Holy Spirit in that moment. And so I go, I have to go tell our parents and all of our friends. So I walk to uh, the waiting room and I'm like, something's wrong. We don't know what it is. Um, they're having to transport her to Wolfson's Children's Hospital in Jacksonville, Florida. And that's all I know. And I leave and I start walking back to, to my wife. And guys, I'm very careful. Anytime I ever say the phrase, I feel like God said, or Jesus said, or the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Like, I feel like there's always, there always needs to be a level of humility with that. Like, maybe, maybe it was God. <laughs> maybe it was the Holy Spirit. Maybe I ate a burrito too late at night. We don't know. And so, so I'm walking back to, the, the nur to my wife's room and the nurse's station is on my right. And as best I can say, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And what I heard, and, and, and this is still to this day, 15 years later, is what do you choose? And it was like God gave me this moment to choose what my response was going to be on the worst moment of my life. And I, like, I just said out loud, which I don't advise in a hospital, um, I said, God, whether she lives or dies, I'm with you. You can take her, Lord, but I'm still with you. Abundant life, what do you choose? On the worst day of your life, what's your choice? 
And can I give you a piece of advice? Try to make as much of a decision today that you will make in the future. And what I mean by that is just say, Lord, and I'm going to give you a chance at the end of service. Lord, on the worst day of my life, would you help me to choose you? And just try as much as you can. Like my wife and I have made a decision ever since that day. No matter what, we are choosing Jesus. We are choosing God. And it may be hard and it may be difficult. But like Peter said to Jesus after everybody else started leaving Jesus, after he said, eat my body and drink my blood, he looks at Peter and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter basically goes, where else am I going to go? Besides Jesus, well, where else are you going to go? Make a choice today to choose Jesus on the worst day of your life. Amen? The first thing we see is that Job made a choice. The second thing is we see Job wrestled. Now, that sounds like a weird point. Job makes a choice, and then Job wrestles. It says this in Job chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Why was I laid on my mother's lap? Why did she nurse me at her breasts? Had I laid at birth, had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I would be asleep and at rest. Oh, why give light to those in misery and life to those who are bitter? You know what Job's asking in this moment? God, if you knew all this was gonna happen, why did you even let me be born in the first place? God, if you knew that you were gonna raise me up and I was gonna be a man like no other man on earth and that you were gonna love me and care for me and bless me with a family and all of these like this flocks and all this land and God, you were gonna take it away or allow the enemy to take it away from me. God, why'd you even let me be born in the first place? And what we see is Job is, he is wrestling with God. Can I tell you something? It's a really good thing to wrestle with the Lord. And I know so many times what we're taught don't question, don't wrestle. It's a good thing to wrestle with the Lord. You know why it's a good thing to wrestle with the Lord? Because it forces you to know what you believe. A lot of us like, and I don't know how it is here in Missouri, um, but growing up in the South, here's what I've learned. And I work out in California as well, and it's a little bit the same there. A lot of us in here, we have been handed our faith by our parents and our grandparents. And praise God for that, amen? Like, praise God for grandparents and parents that pray for us. But sometimes we can grow up in the church world or we can grow up, up in God's house because of what was handed to us, not because we really understand what it means. So sometimes God will either cause or allow, depending on your theological slant or both, you to walk through a season of hardship, trials, and suffering so that you will wrestle with him so that you will know him better. Because what God desires is not to answer your questions, but for you to have a deeper relationship with him. And sometimes, and what you see all throughout scripture, is the way that God often draws us closer to him is through pain, hardship, trials, and suffering. So what if the worst day of your life is God inviting you to wrestle with him? What if he's saying, hey, I wanna know you better, I want you to know me better, let's go to the mat for a little bit. Let's wrestle. And I know, and here's what I love about wrestling with the Lord. And I've wrestled with the Lord for 15 years. The first four to five years were, were awful. I could argue the Bible against myself. Well, this scripture says this, and this scripture says this. Well, how do, and I, could, I couldn't even talk to my wife about it because I would screw her up. 
And so I, I found people to have to process this stuff with. But man, I know what I believe now and I know why I believe it. Because I wrestle with the Lord. What if what God's trying to get you to do is in, he's inviting you in to wrestle with him so that you would know him deeper? And can I just say this? And this is what I love about God. You can go to him as raw and as broken and as in your humanity as you want to, and he will not recoil away from you. He will draw closer to you. So many times I think that we go to, like, we go to, into prayer with God and we're like, dost thou heavenly father know of what vexes me this evening? And God's like, now we're getting somewhere. Do you know what I mean? I don't know about you. I've never prayed those type of prayers. Mine are like, God, what in the world is happening right now? You can go, God can hear and see through more than stained glass. You can go to him and be authentically you. God did not die for the person you project yourself to be. Jesus died for who you really are. So what that means is you can go to him fully who you are and be raw. And that's what we see Job do. And it's beautiful. One of my favorite bands of all time uh, is a band called the Avid Brothers. And their grandfather was a preacher and they took some of his sermons and turned them into songs. Well, there's one line in one of their songs and it says, I often use cuss words when I pray. Ever been there? And don't look at me like y'all rode here on doves. Do you know what I mean? Well, pastor, I never. I'm not telling you to go to your prayer closet today and light it up for the Lord. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not, it's not my point. Um, some of y'all are like, been waiting on this one. Yeah, like Taylor Swift and cussing in prayer. Let's go, Jesus. And so um, I'm not telling you to do that. But I love that picture that you get to be real with the Lord. You get to be honest with him. He don't have to dress it up. Go to him exactly how you are. Wrestle with him. Because what he wants to do more than he wants to answer your question is he wants you to know who he is and he wants to know you. Wrestle. The other thing that we see Job wrestle with is Job wrestles with his friends. In chapter two, we see three friends show up. And at first, they're awesome. They just sit with Job and they cry and they weep. And they're just good friends. But then it takes a turn. And for 34 chapters, these idiots try to diagnose what is happening to Job. Well, Job, this is probably happening because you said some things and God's mad at you and he's punishing you. Or Job, this is probably happening because you probably said something or you probably thought something or you've probably done, and now this is, God. Job, we've gotta go back and find that. Let me be very clear about something just in today's time. God does not punish us anymore because Jesus paid for the punishment for all of us upon the cross. However, he will correct you because those whom the Lord loves, he rebukes and disciplines. So there is a massive difference between correction and punishment. Correction is for our good. And so Job's friends in this moment, they're, they're making everything worse. Please don't be that type of friend. Please don't be the type of friend that when your friends are struggling and they are wrestling with the Lord and they are having hardship and they are having trials, please don't go to them and be like, we have to find the sin because A, that's not even biblical and that's ridiculous anyway and stupid. But please don't do that. Please be the person that Romans 12, 15 talks about that man, you just sit with them and you weep with them and you rejoice with them and you love them. And please understand, and I don't like this answer, 
Guys, there may be some things that we will never understand until the other side of eternity. And I know that so many times what we want to do is we want to make God make sense. And so what we do as people is we end up constructing these boxes that God fits in. And as long as God fits within this box, then God operates the way I think he should. The problem is, is there is no box. And God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And there are going to be questions that you and I have that we will never know the answer to until we stand face to face to Jesus. And I'm betting that when we stand face to face to Jesus, the answer won't matter. Job made a choice. Job wrestled, and this is my favorite one. The third thing is this, Job realizes. So for 37 chapters, Job is wrestling with the Lord. God, what in the world? What in the heck? What is happening? God, what is going on? God says nothing. For 37 chapters, you ever been there? Do you know what I mean? Where you like, how about this? You ever prayed for something so long, like you don't even know how to pray for it anymore? Like you just go into prayer and you're like, uh, Lord, uh, ditto on yesterday. Like <laughs> run it back, Jesus. I don't know what to tell you. Like, or the super confusing one is when you pray about something and it actually gets worse. And then you're like, my bad. And you just kind of like back out like. So for 37 chapters, God says nothing. Chapter 38, God speaks for the first time. This is what God says to Job. 38, one through 12. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? That's a gangster way to come out, right? Right there, like, good Lord Jesus. Uh, Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out their surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst forth from the womb? As I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like a clay pressed beneath the seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you ever explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? I love verse 21 because you see here that sarcasm is a spiritual gift. Um, This is what the Lord says, but of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created and you were so very experienced. (laughs) It's a spiritual gift, guys. And I got a double portion. Um, Okay. So God responds. Now here's what I want you to notice. He didn't answer Job's question. He, he didn't say, hey, Job, this is, this is why all this is happening to you. Just figured I should let you in. Uh, Job actually needed a story because one day in Missouri, there's gonna be a church named Abundant Life and I'm gonna send a fool there to stand up in front of them and preach about your story and it will help give people hope. Like that would have made no sense to Job. 
God doesn't answer Job. He said, Job, you've been asking me all these questions. Let me tell you who I am. That type of talk from the Lord goes on for three more chapters. Read it, it is amazing. One of my favorite ones is God asked Job, he goes, can you hold the Pleiades in your hand, which is a constellation? And Job's like, well, no. And what God is saying to Job is how could you possibly understand what I'm doing when you didn't do any of this? And I want you to hear Job's response. He says this in Job 42, one through three. This is Job's first response back to the Lord. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me to know. Abundant life, um, could it be that the worst day of your life is too wonderful for you to understand on this side of eternity? Could it be that God can trust you with hurt and pain so that you can use it to help minister to other people? Could it be that there are things in our lives that we will walk through that make no sense to us, but God knows exactly what he's doing? Please remember this. God has never caught off guard by anything. Like when my daughter was born, my wife and I were caught off guard, but God wasn't like, Jesus, did you see what happened? I had no idea. There's nothing that happens on this side of eternity that is at least not allowed by the Lord. And that's not easy. And I do not like that, right? But could it be that the stuff that you're walking through is for a purpose that is greater than you can understand at this moment. I made a joke um, earlier in my sermon that my wife and I had our son out of wedlock, and that wasn't a joke, we did. I got a degree and a kid from Florida State University. And one of, some of you like that joke, some of you didn't, that's okay. Um, the altars will be open later. Um, one of the greatest things I get to do is sit with young couples who get pregnant out of wedlock and walk with them. Last year, uh, one of my closest friends from high school died in his sleep. His mom like, was a second mom to me and she was shattered as you would be. She has since started a ministry to minister to other parents who lose children. In 2019, I kind of talked about, it. I went through a massive hurt, betrayal, all this sort of stuff. And at the time I can remember going, God, why? Why are, you, why are you letting this happen? God, I don't understand this. I've served you faithfully. I've served this church faithfully for 17. God, what is happening? This past week, one of the former staff members texted me and said, hey man, I just wanna say that I'm super proud of you. He said, you were the first one hurt and the Lord allowed you to come back and save so many of us. So many times, in our suffering, 
and in our heartache, it makes no sense. And it stinks. But can I promise you that God knows exactly where you are? That he knows exactly what's going on with you? And could it be that, this is the way I always picture stuff like movies, it could it be that God looked at Jesus at his right hand and goes, hey, this person's gonna go through a hard time because I can trust them with it. Could it be too wonderful for you to know? Listen, some of you today, you need to go home and you need to make a choice. Some of you need to go home and wrestle with the Lord. Once again, not saying light it up in your prayer closet, okay? Like, so just want to get that on the line. But you need to go home and wrestle. Some of you need to realize that God is bigger than your questions. And the greatest thing that you could do was get to know the Lord instead of getting him to answer your question. For some of you in here, it starts with committing or recommitting your life to Jesus. Guys, I'll be real honest. I don't know how you walk through any pain, hardship, trial, struggle on this earth apart from Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't know. I remember being at the NICU and I would actually walk around to other children and I would see families and I would ask them questions like, hey, are you a believer? Do you believe in Jesus? And they would be like, no. And I remember going back to my wife one time and going, I have no idea how to get through this if you don't have Jesus. Because at least if my daughter passes away, the first step she will ever take will be to the arms of her savior, right? So some of you in here, hear me, some of you in here, what you need more than an answer is you need Jesus. So what I wanna do is I wanna give you two chances to respond. The first one is for those of you in here that God just spoke to you today. Whatever it is, you need to make a choice, you need to wrestle, something else the Lord said to you. Whatever it is, you just know, I, I gotta do something. And then the next one's gonna be for those of you that need to commit or recommit your life to Christ. So what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. If you're in here and you would say, Josh, that's me. I, I know that there's something I need to do today. I just need to respond. I need to make a choice, I need to wrestle, I need to realize there's something totally different that God's telling me I need to do today. If that's you, I'm gonna count to three and ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three, raise them. There are lots of hands. You guys can put those down. Now, if you're in here and you would say, Josh, I need to commit or recommit my life to Christ. You know, the Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And what that means is every person that has ever walked on this earth, we are all sinners in need of a savior. And Jesus Christ is that savior. And the Bible says that we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the only son of God who was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for us, that in that moment we are reconciled to God. You were brought into right relationship with God. Your sins are separated from you as far away as the east is from the west, and also you are now the righteousness of Christ. If you're in here and you would say, Josh, I know that I need to commit or recommit my life to Christ. I'm gonna count to three and I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three, raise them. There are um, a lot of hands in here. God, we thank you 
that you are such a good God. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. God, thank you that every person that is responding to anything today is all because your Holy Spirit has been preparing their heart for what you would speak to them. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.